like our content? It's funded by viewers like you. Please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of New Church Live today. Yeah, thanks to everybody who has. I mean, this, this church has been going for more than 10 years, and it wouldn't have gone any time if you hadn't stepped up and supported, so thank you for that. My name is Curtis. Today the talk is called Five Secrets of Heaven. So this talk is a secret. You can't tell, you can't tell anyone about it. And if you're watching on your laptop, on your couch, and someone else in the room is like, what are you watching? You have to just say, nothing. I'm not watching anything. Um, do you want to go to heaven? And, and I'm not like, someday after you die. I mean, like, right now, would you like to go there? If so, these are the tools that are going to get you there. This is a, the talk today is like a tour de force of New Church theology, and I would vouch for every single one of these secrets. These are not just things that I read about one time and has kind of sounded nice to me. This is all stuff that I've used this morning before I got in here to this talk. This is stuff that I'm using every day, and I'm telling you, it's a good life. It is so much better than what your mind will normally serve up for you. So I'm going to give, I was going to hang on to these secrets and use them to, to make myself better than everyone else, but actually I'm just going to give them away. I decided I'm going to give them away, and we're going to do it, but there is, I don't just give them to anybody. There, there is a bit of a screening process that we have here, and the screening process has to do with intent. The intent behind anything makes it what it is. The reason why you are somewhere and the reason why you're doing something, the, the motive behind what you're saying, that's what makes it what it is. So if we're going to use these secrets of heaven, if we're going to learn them, if we're going to try to leverage the power of them, you've got you to do it for the right reason. You've got to do it for the reason or the goal of heaven. The goal of heaven is not complicated. And I say it every time I'm up here, but that's what a bully pulpit is. You can just say anything. And how are you going to stop? I guess you can just like close, go somewhere else on the internet. Here's the intent of heaven. Divine love is the intent that everyone should be most profoundly and fully happy. That's why we're in the game. That's why I'm interested, that's why I've stayed interested in religion and spirituality, is because I felt like, here's life, it's this thing where n not everybody is most fully and profoundly happy, and it, that bugs me, that bothers me, and I see in these five secrets the potential to get there. Like, I really think, oh wait, we might be able to pull this thing out, this whole life thing. We can get to where everyone really is fully and profoundly happy. So knowing that that's why we're learning these secrets and we're using them to support that as the ultimate goal, okay, you're in. I actually, just for legal purposes, I have a contract for you to sign. It says, I solemnly swear that I will use these secrets in the name of the goal of heaven, which is that everyone must be fully and profoundly happy. Do you all sign it? If you're watching on your phone at home, just get a regular pen, like a real pen, and write your name on your phone, right where that line is. Okay, great. Then let's get to the first secret. The first secret of heaven is that you are never going to die. This is Luke 23, 42. 
This is when there is, Jesus is getting crucified. He's in the middle of getting crucified, and there's other people who are going through the same thing. They're getting crucified next to him, and one of them says to Jesus, then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I don't know why. That is, that is one of my favorite lines in the Bible. I, there's just something like, like it's, like, it's a horrific scene if you just pay attention to the external characteristics. Uh, that, but if you're just thinking about the sentiment in those words, reading it here, like something like wistful and like, remember me. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So even from that situation, they're both getting crucified and they're going to die. He says, today, we're going to be fully and profoundly happy. Like, you are going to be with me in paradise. And it's not just the, par- the idea that even something like, you know, the Roman Empire trying to kill you, um, you're not going to die, but you will be with me in paradise. So this is from heaven and hell. This is when um, Swedenborg began having his experiences where he th- could see through the eyes of the Spirit, like everybody in the Bible reports happening, and he started to see, like, wait a second, we're more than just the body. Repeated experience has witnessed to me that when we move from the natural world into the spiritual, which happens when we die, it's just moving from one world into the other, we take every, with us everything that pertains to our character except our earthly body. So the survival of consciousness, I'm not like blowing your mind with that. A lot of, the, almost everything ever in history, almost every, every culture has believed in some kind of afterlife. You have near-death experiences and things where people, but not just that your consciousness will survive death, but you are going to. Like you, when, you, when you die, you're still going to be you. I think this is driven home well by uh, a current or modern near-death experience. There's a woman named Diane Morrissey. This is what she said. At that moment, this is when she's in the middle. Do you all know what a near-death experience is? It's just, there's a million books on it. It was a huge fad that started in the 70s and is still going strong. It's where people are, are almost dead. You know what? No. You all do know it because I know this is why. There's a show on Hulu that's called Only Murders in the Building. And it's a, it's like a crime. It's, like, it's Steve Martin and Martin Short, Selena Gomez. It's comedy, but it's crime solving. And in it, I'm trying not to give you any spoilers, so plug your ears. This is a minor spoiler, but there's a, Paul Rudd is like a guest on the third season. And at one point he says, I saw the light, the dead people light. And that's all he says about it. So if it's there, if it's on Hulu, and Paul Rudd says it with no explanation, it's permeated pop culture. Everybody knows that people, when people die and they come back, they say they saw this light. This woman's in the middle of that experience. At that moment, I knew that nothing ever dies. Nothing ever dies. I also knew that I would never die. If I stayed in this place, I knew I would, be, I would be alive, but in a different way than I had been before my electrocution. So she was electrocuted, that's how she had this experience. I would still be Diane, and I would still have my memories. So I'd still be Diane, I would still have my memories, but I would also feel this unbelievable love around me forever. How I longed to stay. 
It's not just that consciousness survives, okay, so then you are conscious on the other side and you kind of get sublimated into a divine something or you start a new life where you're somebody. You are going to be you forever. And knowing that allows us to, to change how we think about our lives right now. Actually, you can divide everything in your life into one of two categories. Temporary, some stuff in your life is temporary and some stuff in your life is eternal. And we usually get it mixed up. We spend a lot of our energy focusing on and freaking out about stuff that's temporary and not giving the weight that we should to stuff that's eternal. So what's temporary and what's eternal? This is how Swedenborg puts it in Divine Providence. He says, temporal matters involve eminence and wealth and therefore rank and money in this world. Is that what you thought I was going to say? There are a great many temporal matters, but they all boil down to eminence and wealth. By temporal matters, I mean things that either die off in time, like you can have it and then next year it's gone, or simply cease when our life on earth is over. By eternal matters, I mean things that do not die off and stop, either in time or at the end of our life on earth. One additional thought with that. In the other life, no one can pretend to affections they do not really have. So we cannot put on a face that is contrary to the love we are engaged in. We are all refined down into a state in which we say what we think and manifest in expression and act what we intend. So Diane, that woman who had her near-death experience, and she's like, I'm in this new world, there's love and there's light and I want to stay here. One characteristic of that world is that now there's, there's an honesty in how we represent is, is how we really are. Because here, you have like a, a body on top of your spirit. So the, there's your consciousness and your sort of inner thought world, and then there's actually what you do and say. And those can be really different. That I, I, <laughs> I, could, um, I could go up to somebody after this talk and say, hey, did you, did you see my talk? Did you watch my talk? Did you like it? And they might be like, oh yeah, that was terrible. But they say, yeah, that was really great. Because you, you, you couldn't manage it. But there, it's like your spirit is right there. Your spirit is right there. So, what is temporary, the stuff that's fine, but it's only a means to an end, is your physical body, which is an exhausting thing to upkeep, but it's a good tool. Wealth. You've heard you can't take it with you. But also your reputation is temporary. How much of the anxiety in life is reputation management? How much of our energy goes towards, I want to make sure people think of me this way? Um, I really should say the thing that does not stay is any reputation you might have that doesn't match up with who you actually are. Because there, in, in the afterlife, in the, the life of the Spirit, just when you walk up to someone, you can, we really see who we really are. So any effort you're putting into, can, can I just make it so that that doesn't stay? Rank and honor, so how, how, how much better am I than other human beings? Doesn't stay, because it's not true. Nobody's better than anyone else. Duplicity, any effort you put into trying to manipulate people or do anything, that, that doesn't, it's not worth investing in. What is worth investing in, the things that are eternal, are what you love, 
that the you, when Diane isn't having her near-death experience, he says, I would still be me. Fundamentally, what that means is the things you care about and, and the, the motivation for doing what you do in life, why you get up in the morning, what it is you want to see happen, that stays. That is who you are. So cultivating a love for what is good and true, that stays with you. And the truths you can, you can gather... Uh, religious and spiritual truths, which are very valuable to the Spirit, but only the ones that you make a part of your life stay with you. So what I'm hoping is, in this talk, I can give you some ideas that you hold on to, make a part of your life, and then you'll have that that pays dividends forever. You're never going to die. The, the, the good and bad of the temporary things will go away. We can focus on what's eternal, and from that you gain this sense of it's relaxing, there's this timeless joy with it, and you realize we're just getting started. And we're just getting started on this talk. That was only secret number one. After this song, I'll give you a couple more. Where will I go? 
Will the trade winds take the sound of the Georgia rain, the tropical rain, the snow from the heavens? Will I join the ocean blue running to save you true? And shake his hands and laugh him And walk through the night Straight through the light Holding the love I've known in my life With no hard feelings Lord knows they haven't good for anyone Kept me afraid and cold So much to have in hold Under the curtain sky I love that song, and uh, for what it's worth, that song is completely the rendition of the first Secret of Heaven. Is it, I don't know if you're listening to the lyrics. I always listen to the lyrics and songs, but it's somebody who's saying, oh, when I realize that this life is going to end, but I'm not, I actually care about things that are more important to care about. Nobody's going to sit there and say, well, why? no, you should, you should keep holding those grudges. What are you doing? I promise more secrets. Do you, do you want them? Secret number two. Don't tell anyone these. Secret number two is heaven and hell are talking to you. I kind of like the little pause where I find my bookmark. I feel like it's a bit of reverence. So this is from Matthew 4. Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So nobody ever dies. That was the first secret. So there's all of us. We continue on forever. There's, a, there's an afterlife, which is New Church Theology calls the spiritual world. And you're in it right now. 
I mean, your consciousness is spiritual. Your consciousness is residing in that world. So the whole human race is there, and you can be devoting your life to the pursuit of the goal of heaven, which is that everyone should be most fully and profoundly happy, or you can be devoting your life to the opposite of that, which is like narcissistic selfishness, and I, I'm the thing that matters more than anyone, just like in this world. So those two great you know, paths on the fork in the road exist in the afterlife, Swedenborg calls the one where you're going toward love and what's good and caring about everyone rather than just yourself, heaven. And when you're selfish and willing to exploit and harm people for your own gain or pleasure or profit, that's called hell. Both of those things, you can hear them right now. You can hear them every day. It's like the angel and the devil on the shoulder. To an extent, that's really how it is. And knowing that actually doesn't have to be that big of a revelation. It doesn't have to be like, wait, what? There's a supernatural world around. Let me show you how that works. Um, guys, in this room, there are unseen beings that can hurt you and maybe even trying to get into your body right now. They're called germs. There's germs. We, we, everybody's just totally cool with the idea that there's little animals that kind of like can go around in the air and they can get into you and if they multiply, you get sick and there's good ones that live in your gut and if you don't have them, you can't digest. Oh yeah, those things, microbes just live in there. That's the, the net experience of it. Yes, we, we, we are, have heaven and hell trying to influence us all the time. You've had it your entire life, every human being, whoever has lived had. And just like with germs, you can get so ah, there's germs everywhere that your life crunches up into a little ball. You just got to have a basic sense of, okay, I know how to deal with it. So now I'm going to wash my hands when I touch this thing. If somebody's sick, I'm going to stay a little away from them. That's how it is with the idea that heaven and hell are influencing you, meaning like your thoughts are affected by heaven, your feelings are affected by heaven, your thoughts are affected by hell, your feelings are affected by hell. This has been the greatest tool for me because it allows you to get some distance when, you're, when your thinking and feeling is really negative and self-destructive and other destructive, you can say, whoa, uh, I don't really want that. I don't really wanna believe that, I don't really wanna think that, I can create some distance. I wanna give you some passages that I remember really stopping me in my tracks when I was first really getting into reading Swedenborg and New Church Theology about how hell wants to influence your mind. This is from Secrets of Heaven, 1820. And Swedenborg had this experience that, oh yeah, all the time you have heaven is coming and trying to give you good thoughts and feelings, hell is trying to give you good, bad thoughts and feelings. He uses the term evil spirits here, which just means a spirit is just a person who's in the afterlife now. So this is the same as, you know, those people who call you and say, hey, you know, I, I'm a, a relative of yours that you didn't know, and you have an inheritance here. Just give me your credit card number with $2,000, and that'll, people who are just trying to use you, same thing happens on the spiritual side of life. As soon as evil spirits detect a trace of conscience, meaning in us a sense of what's right and wrong, no matter how imperfect, they take our misconceptions and weaknesses and shape them into a fog of emotion, which they use to block and distort the light of truth, or else they torture us with anxiety. 
Another device they use is to train our thoughts on a single issue with no let up. They fill it with crazy notions at the same time secretly tie our cravings into the insanity. I've never seen uh, any kind of evil spirit or entity or anything like that in my life. I've had a very normal life. But I've absolutely experienced that state of mind that he's talking about where it's like, I can't stop thinking about this thing, I have all this anxiety, there's this fog of negative emotion. When I first was reading that, I was in this depressive episode and I was like, I've experienced that. I've experienced that. Sweden, the idea that the secret of heaven, that heaven and hell are talking to you, allowed me to say, oh, this is in my mind, it's not true, it's just from hell. I don't want it, I don't need it. This is an article from a uh, publication called Everyday Health. This is a woman who had nothing to do with Swedenborg or anything, talking about what it's like to live with suicidal thoughts. She says, of course it's hard to explain what goes on in my head and the degree to which my suicidal thoughts have affected me. There's a tape in my brain that plays on repeat and said tape tells me I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I'm worthless, no one loves me, no one cares. It tells me to stop fighting, stop trying, and it constantly berates me and puts me down. So the standard, like modern Western explanation for that is like, oh, well, you have a, you know, it's your brain, your brain is doing that, like it got a wire crossed or something, and now it's just doing that. If, if your brain is, your brain doesn't want you to be alive anymore, if it doesn't, why doesn't it just stop? Why doesn't it just turn itself off instead of, I'm going to go all the way through this convoluted, tell you your worth, it's hell. Hell is talking to you. Hell is talking to you, trying to, trying to get you to give up, because hell is the desire to harm the human race, and heaven is the desire to help it. But it's not just that people have these experiences, which seem to me to obviously indicate there's something else going around us. On the positive side, too, there's this book that's called The 15 Principles of Conscious Leadership, and they were talking about the different categories of leaders in an organization or business. And they go up and as you get better at being a leader, you go through these tiers. So at first you're in the to me tier. Like life happens to me. Oh, this, I can't believe my, my board's not giving me what I want. My employees aren't giving me what I want. This is, I, everything's happening to me. Up from that is the by me. I make, look at, I'm an agent of my own destiny. I can make things happen. I can do that. And then, and I remember I just couldn't believe it when I was reading this book, because it's got nothing to do with religion or spirituality or Swedenborg or anything. They're saying the next tier up from that is through me leadership. I cooperate with life happening. Key question, what wants to happen through me? These are people that just studied business and studied how it works, and they're just undeniable that once you really get good, you can tell there is something good outside you that wants to do what is good through you. It's just an unavoidable. Go, go talk to somebody who writes songs. Okay, they, come, they just come through you. There's something good out there that is pumping you full of these good ideas. There's something bad out there that gives some people the idea that they should kill themselves every single day. Heaven and hell are talking to you. Secret number three is that problems are okay. This is Jeremiah 29, 11. 
For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Actually, we already, last time I was up here at New Church Live, we dug deep into this secret. We did a whole sermon on this. So we're just going to refresh your memory on it. Fundamentally, everything is going to be okay. Problems are going to be okay because there's this thing called divine providence, which is the op- God operating in every single detail of life to make it so that even though hard things happen that can't be prevented, the outcome is going to be eternal things will get better for you. Remember how I said in the first secret, there's some stuff about you that lasts forever, and there's some stuff that goes away in time. The stuff that lasts forever about you will become better through these difficult times, even though they may be painful. In the end, you're going to be better off for it forever. And you can trust that when you're going through something difficult. There's three ways in which that happens. First of all, hard experiences or problems teach us about comparison, so we start to understand the difference between what happiness and unhappiness are, between what is good and evil, between what should be done and shouldn't be done. You, you gain compassion and empathy from that. It's universally true that you can just go into any field of study and it shows that people do this. Purification, man, nothing busts the ego like a good old catastrophe or like, a, a, hey, I tried this thing and it failed. We, the, the things that would tie us to ideas that are outside the goal of heaven, providence will use the difficult times in our life to get us out of that. Third is the strengthening of your convictions. The only reason that I'm like, hey, I think I'm going to go stand on a stage and tell people all these secrets of heaven that sound a little bit out there is because they, I have seen them work. I have seen them work. I have been in a place where I needed them, and there they were. That's how you, that's, that's the way people, how do you know if any of this is real? That's how you learn. That's how you learn this real. This is something you can track on the physical level. This is from UW Health. The article is entitled, The Surprising Benefit of Going Through Difficult Times. Research has found that up to 70% of people experience positive psychological growth from difficult times, such as a deeper sense of self and purpose, a greater appreciation for life and loved ones, and an increased capacity for altruism, empathy, and desire to act for the greater good. Which is exactly what I was just talking about. You can't see that they're... Why would that be? Why would that be that things that were difficult would, would lead you not just to you survive them, but you become like a more, a person who's more aligned with the goal of heaven from these problems is because there is this incredibly complex working of divine providence in those things. Like, no duh, it's right there. Okay. That's a couple more secrets. We'll get to the last two after this. Take some time, let those secrets sit in your soul, see, see if you can start to see them operating in your life. Very good. Couple of falls, 
been chasing what I thought were moonbeams I had run into a couple of walls But in looking back at the places I've been The changes that I left behind I just look at myself and find I learn the hard way every time Cause I've had my share of good intentions And I've made my share of mistakes And at times I've learned it's best to bend Cause if you don't, well, those are the breaks Should have listened to all the things I was told But I was young and too proud at the time Now I look at myself and find Every time But in looking back At the lessons I've learned In the mountains I've wanted to climb I just look at myself and I find I live the hard way every time Cause I've had my share of broken dreams And more than a couple of falls And in chasing what I thought were moonbeams I have run into a couple of walls But in looking back at the faces I've been I would sure be the first one to say When I look at myself today I wouldn't have done it any other way Upcoming small group on a life worth living. It's based on the book by Miroslav Wolf, and it book grows out of a, a well-known course at Yale, where they take a look with these students about what is a life worth living. And Miroslav Wolf is a wonderful author, an amazing Christian perspective that he brings to it, and he talks about what indeed is a life worth living. From a Christian New Church perspective, we hold it as it comes down to service. And, and this will be a great conversation in terms of looking at different ways you can view that, as well as trying to hone in more and more on, on the New Church perspective of what is it to be useful? What is it to serve? What is it to make a difference out there into the world? That life may not always be perfect, but we can indeed make it very meaningful. It's a great opportunity to get to join people from all across the country, all different walks of life. And if you are interested, I would ask you to go to our website or wait to see the slide at the very end of this. We'll give you some specific ways you can sign up. It will include a free book. It's really about conversation and fellowship and sharing ideas that hopefully will, will make us all a little better. So feel free to join us this October. Book Club, Life Worth Living by Miroslav Wolf. Sign up on the New Church Live website. Details will be on the slide right at the end of this video. Take care, God bless, and hope you can join us. Bye-bye. Bing, that's one of those scanny things. It took me forever to know what those were. I know they're, they're like 30 years old now, but 
for the longest time, I was like, what is this? What is this little thing people put on stuff? You can just, your phone, just like your camera, just put it up there and we'll take you to a website. Uh, okay, so in there, I, I feel a little bit aggravated about that video because he kind of spoiled one of my secrets that's coming up. The fifth one though, so not this one. He, didn't, he doesn't know this one. Um, the fourth secret of heaven is that bad things and good things, talking about like evil things and good things, both feel good. This is from Deuteronomy. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. So there's this thing that's called the Lord of the Rings. And I want to say there's these movies, but it's actually the movies came from books. Did you know that? In that, I did, I, listen man, I read the books before the movies were even out. I'm old. So in that, there's this thing that's called the ring. The Lord of the Rings, there's, there's one ring in it. I'm thinking probably everybody knows how this goes, but this is the best uh, metaphor or correspondence for this secret of heaven. Because if you're not familiar, there's this ring in the book. And, and the ring seems like it's good. Because it can do, it, when, when you get it, it can, if you put it on, it makes you invisible, which is very handy if you're trying to be invisible. And there's all kinds of reasons you would want to do that. Also, like, you start to develop this affection for it. It does a few other things for you. But what you don't know is it's ruining your life it is slowly entrapping you so that you become more and more obsessed with it. It makes you more visible to the main bad guy of the book, like he can tell when you're using it, and it causes you to start to be paranoid, suspicious of your friend, and it makes you more willing to do things like kill people to get it and that kind of thing. So there's this point at which um, we, we can tie the evil in our life to that ring. And people don't like it when you say evil, but I, I like this definition of it. This is from Divine Providence 279. Evil is the pleasure we find in the urge to act and think in violation of the divine pattern. And that goodness is the pleasure we feel when we act and think in harmony with the divine pattern. Not only is there, like, the divine pattern is everything that leads us toward everyone being most fully and profoundly happy. Think, acting against that is everything that leads us away from that. Both of those come with their own, they both feel good. So you can, they can kind of go under the radar because you just got, well, I justify myself because I like how this destructive thing feels, even though it's keeping us from heaven. It's making, it seems like it's making your life better, like the ring seems like it's making your life better, but it's actually ruining your life. So there's a scene in Lord of the Rings where, um, where God is like the wizard Gandalf. So there's the, the you didn't know you'd get this much um, Lord of the Rings lore in this talk. There's Bilbo, is like the sort of the main character, and he has that ring. 
he's got that bad ring, but he doesn't know that that's what it is. He thinks it's just this fun little ring. Gandalf has just discovered, oh, Rutro, that is the, the bad ring. That's gonna, I have to get this away from Bilbo. And so he's like, hey, Bilbo, can you give me that ring? Because Bilbo's about to leave anyway. And Bilbo says, okay, yeah, I'll give it to you. But instead, he puts it in his pocket and tries to sort of sneak out. And then right as he's leaving, camera's like over his shoulder, and Gandalf is behind him and says, hey, Bilbo, the ring is still in your pocket. And Bilbo's like, oh, yeah, I guess it is. But then he gets defensive, and he says, hey, what are, why are you trying to take this ring from me? I mean, you're just trying to, you just want to use it for yourself. And then, and this is going to be a little bit dorky, because I'm going to do an impression of, I think I'm going to do the impression of Gandalf, because it's really important how he does it. <laughs> um, so then all of a sudden, mood changes, the, the coloring changes, he stands up, with, he's really tall compared to Bilbo, and he says, Bilbo Baggins, do not take me for a cheap conjurer of tricks. There, that's, it's over. Um, I'm not trying to rob you, sorry. And then he leans forward, and he gets like, the color goes back to normal, his face, face gets friendly, and he says, I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to rob you, I'm trying to help you. So there are things in us that are like the ring. There are things that we think is making our life better. And it's different for each of us. It's anything that is like the, the, the pleasure, as Swedenborg puts it um, in it with wonderful 18th century flair, the pleasures of insanity. The, the, the road rage, the like, it's fun to make belittling remarks toward people, or there's like, ah, I, I enjoy and justify theft, or, or, or in extreme cases, murder. People, people think, God is asking me to give this up. You're, tr you're, you're, you're ruining my life. I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. Because what we don't realize is when we let go of that ring, which is everything that pulls you away from the goal of heaven, then you can actually enter into heaven. And heaven is real happiness. The ring makes you more and more miserable the longer that you have it. It seems like it's good, but you, your life is falling apart around you. So the thing that I feel like is not on everybody's radar is that it just when the human race grapples with morality itself, is that the, why are so many people being bad to each other there's some, there, there could be like the things that seem like they're bad is really just people acting in their own defense. Who knows? But there's a whole bunch of like, it feels good. We are driven by the, the enjoyment of terrible things. And to like, look at that and realize, okay, just I, I can scan what's in me and try to identify which of these things are really good and which just feel good so I justify them. If everybody did that, you clean up, the, clean up everything really fast. You could watch the news and be like, oh, everything's going fine. Everything's going fine. Oh yeah, and so from that, th this meme emerged. Um, oh, did we already show it? Do you have the, like the, yeah, there we go. It's like, you think, like you want me to play this game with you, little puppy. Give me the ball, You're, you, why are you? You want me to throw it to you. It's just like we're sitting here like, I wish I was happy, and yet we're like, I'm not going to give you the ring. Okay, people. Um, we, can, I, yeah, we can skip the, the next ring slide, or you can go right past it, because I want to go to secret number five, which is 
that usefulness is happiness. This is from Psalm 90. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You might think that the main thing, if I'm telling you go, go and live a heavenly life, the main thing in it is like, I don't know, like be, be friendly. Be friendly to people. If you're always friendly to people, then you'll be in heaven. But that's not quite it. That's not quite how it works. So you guys know blue zones? Everybody's talking about blue zones. Or maybe it just seems like that to me. Blue zones are these places, it's a name they gave to places on the globe where people live to be more than 100 years old regularly. They, they've identified these people are doing something right because they, they don't die. I mean, they take a long time to realize the first uh, secret of heaven. So this is a quote from a book that was talking about the one that's in Japan. It's a Japanese proverb. It says, only staying active will make you want to live 100 years. There, I think, I feel like New Church Theology, I, I don't, I have never come across it anywhere else. It is um, a worldview that says the fundamental joy in life is that basically of doing your job. If your job is not a very, like, it's not fun and the hours aren't good, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about once you find some way you can contribute to the, and this can be something that's, you know, you can be doing this in your home, you can be doing this at, out in the, you know, some office somewhere. The point is when you're doing something which extends beyond you to help the welfare of the human race or benefit other people, um, that's, that is the foundation on which all happiness is built. And if you don't have that foundation, if you just suddenly didn't have to work anymore and just got, got to lay around, it wouldn't give you this heavenly happiness. So I want to read from, there's a pamphlet which has had a big impact on me called Uses by a guy named Wilson Van Dusen, where he goes into, he gives a great overview summary, has some insights into this, what this concept is. So let, let's talk because we can, we can get it twisted as they say. Here's what, it, what I mean when I say usefulness is happiness. The simplest, and, and I'm going to read all these two pages, no, I'm just kidding, I have a few little highlighted sections in here. The simplest and most powerful method for personal spiritual development in Swedenborg's theology lies in the idea of usefulness, or uses as he calls it. In being useful, one is attempting to do whatever is at hand very well as a way of reaching out and learning. It is a way of practicing devotion in any work or activity. And here's an example of what it's talking about. Suppose we wanted to grasp the uses of a carpenter. It would not be enough to talk of measuring, sawing, and nailing wood together. This is too abstract. We should go to a project underway and walk around in the skeleton of a building under construction. Yet this would not be as good as eventually moving into the house to get the full feeling and impact of the use the carpenter has created. 
We have breakfast daily in the dining alcove he created and enjoy the view of the garden. It is this possibility of living in and enjoying the space he created that is a concrete knowing of his use. So if you are a carpenter and you feel like, I've got to hammer this nail in, saw this thing. There is heaven in that practice. If you're thinking as you're doing that, of, look at this, there's some family that's gonna live in this, and I, I am working to house the human race, and I'm part of this greater good, and I know that, that I am serving the whole, and I'm gonna try to do this better and better, so I can deal honestly and fairly with my customers and, I'm, and the other contractors I work with, and I am gonna be a force for good in that, that can feel amazing, and actually that can grow better and better forever. That feeling of like, I'm contributing something that I'm skilled at, and I am going to be able to make this difference and understand the difference in people's lives I'm making, that's the foundation for heavenly happiness. That is, everything else that we love to do is great, but without having this fundamental way of I'm contributing to the human race, that stuff will, will struggle to, to maintain its luster for us. So usefulness, and, and don't, carpenter is really... Um, tangible. There's, there's so many uses. There's so many uses. You can be a mom or dad, and that's your use. You can, you can be somebody who, there's so many uses. So just the qualification is it's something you're doing for the greater, for somebody outside yourself, and you love doing it because you know that you can picture or imagine or feel the good that it's doing for someone. That's happiness. That's the last secret of heaven. So this contract that, that you've all now signed, sorry about your phone if you did actually write on your phone, but now suddenly the signature lines up again and you're like, yes, this is why I did it because it's, you know, it's written on the phone. <sighs> the reason we signed this contract is because we're working to build that heaven, the place where, the, the life where everyone is most profoundly and fully happy and that we can, by using these secrets of heaven, we can move in that direction. So if you can keep it in your life and in your mind and, and every day come back to reference the idea that you're never gonna die, so it's, let's, let's work on what's eternal and use what's temporary as a means to that, and if you can understand that heaven and hell are talking to you and you can have agency within your own mind to say, oh, I'm not gonna take that in, I'm not gonna act on that, I'm not going to listen to that because that seems to me at this point to be from hell. And this seems like it's from heaven, so I am going to act on that. You can dramatically change your day-to-day -day experience. If we live and believe the idea that problems are okay, and when they, they come up in our lives, I'm not saying we just pretend like they don't bother us, but we can have that North Star that's like, ultimately, this is making my life better in the long run, and, and I'm going to come out of this okay. If we understand secret number four, that bad things and good things can both feel good, so it's up to us individually to look at ourselves and try to figure out where am I moving the human race toward heaven and where am I blocking it? No one else can reach in there and do that for you, and that's a good part of the sacred work that we have to do. And finally, if we understand that we can be looking out there, where, where does happiness come from? In usefulness. It comes from usefulness. So find out what it is you love to do that helps people and, and devote your life to it in all kinds of ways that can lead to heaven. That, that's enough. 
doing those five secrets, having them change the way our mind is, that is enough to open up heaven now. Because heaven is a state of mind. Yes, you, we go into an afterlife, but the only reason there's a heaven in that afterlife is because it's people who are in this state of mind of heaven. And we can do that today. I mean, you can do that. You can be done that by the time this next song is over. Or you can be working toward that. So take the secrets. Um, hopefully some of them are useful to you and you can add to your tool belt, make them a part of, uh, of who you are and how you operate, and let's bring a little more heaven into the world. Yeah, so let's, um, let's say the prayer. Um, I feel like all the secrets are contained in the prayer. Everything is contained in the prayer. It's a very powerful piece of um, language. So as you're, it's a great way to kind of let those things settle, just kind of see where they fall in this. I'm gonna say it, you can say it along with me, or you can just listen, think, and do, do whatever you wanna to do to kind of reach out to God. Okay. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Have a great day, everyone. May it be full of heaven. Lord, can you tell me how far is it?